Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And Fred wants to talk to me about something that he really, really likes and wants to see a lot more of. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Pretty much the avoidance (laughs) of using the MTBF. So this was prompted by a message from a... Not that I would like to, you know, talk about this and all the ways we can eradicate it and all the other stuff. And, and But uh, this one was prompted by a, a person, uh, David, who said, it started off with very polite message that gets my attention. I absolutely love your website, articles, et cetera. I feel like I've been on a mission to lure people away from MTBF for about half my career. So... I'm glad you finally caught on and took you half your career. So hopefully it's, it's going well now. And he said that uh, he goes on and he talks about, he's been working with a couple of aerospace companies, apparently as a consultant. And he says, everybody all the time uses MTBF in the aerospace industry. It's just what they do. And in, in its large part, it's a reflection of what the FAA is expecting them to do, to do parts count predictions and assume everything's exponential and they don't, he said he's both companies. They don't talk about confidence. They don't talk about statistical statistics at all, other than an MTBF, an average failure rate. Essentially, they use fit rates whenever possible if they can ever make one up, and they do no probability analysis. They uh, the basic calculations are always aimed at it's just exponential, and they have primary assumptions. Both of them said, well, when he asked, why do you do this? They, he gets shown the traditional bathtub curve and they are assuming that all of the functional testing and, and stress screening in production will eliminate, completely eliminate all infant mortalities and that the design and all of the, the long-term studies and stuff that they do to make sure the design lasts long enough. So therefore without any evidence or confirmation or analysis, everything else must be in the flat part of the curve and just a constant hazard rate. And there's nothing we can do about it until, you know, so it would, we'll just always assume that all of the things that fail are due to totally random exponentially described phenomena. And he says, now the question he had was given that background, how do I talk to these people? to let them see what they're doing is rather naive. <laughs> you know, I'm paraphrasing what he's done, but he's asked, is there an analysis that would help them understand what they're doing is, doesn't make sense? Or, um, you know, how, how could they learn more from the failures by not making these assumptions? And how could basic probability analysis actually convince them that it's good for their business? And those are all good questions. And it's, I think he's on the right track for ways to talk to these guys, but it's like, yeah, we've still got a long ways to go to get people off of MTBF. I think that unfortunately, if I was to be honest, I don't think he's going to enjoy any success in trying to revolutionize, which, which is what it will feel like, um, his organization. Is it worth not trying then? 
I don't know. That's what we're going to talk through in this podcast, though, isn't it? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the, I mean, the problem with it, we talk about culture in organisations a lot. Problem with this issue is that it's not just an organisational culture; it's an industry culture. Yeah. Um, and if you're looking for statistics and, and whatnot, well, um, I like watching the show, which has got different names in different countries. In some countries, it's called May Day. In some countries, it's called Air Crash Investigations. Um, but they do a really good job of uh, of looking at particular aircraft crashes. Mm-hmm. And I haven't tallied up the root causes of each each one. But uh, if I had to ha- hazard a guess, I'd say about a third of aircraft crashes are caused by a manufacturing issue, some crack or inclusion or what have you was somehow present in a turbine blade and it led to premature fatigue and coupled with um, an inadequate preventive maintenance or inspection, mm-hmm. combination of those two. I'd say another third is where there's some sort of wear out phenomena where, you know, the insulation, for example, on cabling degrades, creating a an arc, which then goes on to create a fire, for example. Yep. And I'd have hazard a guess another third is human error, whether someone doesn't. Well, there was uh, one I saw the other day where they didn't they didn't latch the cowling on the engine cover, and right on takeoff it flapped open and caught on fire. <laughs> You could you could argue that's a, I mean it's easy to say oh, that's human error, but sometimes designs can be more prone to human error than than others. Yeah. What I never see, never see in these air crash investigations, is a scenario where there is a genuine uh, constant hazard rate. Yeah, a bird strike would be. I would call that a. There's birds in the air. There's birds that are big enough to take down, uh, knock out an engine. It's pretty much not a wear out it's an overstress situation right would you call that uh, something that could be described by a constant hazard rate i would um i mean you could get uh, yeah see for me i would uh, the the you could argue that well there are more birds in certain aircraft airports across and, the world yeah, and different blah, blah, migration blah, blah, blah. patterns yeah <laughs> but i take your point it's it's a randomly occurring external stress and um interesting tonight the most popular or well-known airstrike uh bird strike Involved a safe landing, <laughs> anyway, on, a, on the Hudson River. <laughs> on the Hudson River. So, but we look at everything else, and and this is the problem. The FAA, who uh, NTSB, who work with the FAA um, in terms of investigating these these crashes, they write detailed reports, which get they're pretty good at root cause analysis reports, um, which says, well, this. Uh, when this turbine was being machi- turbine hub was being machined out, the, you could see that the drill bit dug in here, causing a micro crack, and blah 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 blah. Off it goes. Yep. You go all right. Well, if you want the evidence to demonstrate that your aircraft are going to either have infant mortality and or wear out, just look at every single air crash investigation report that's ever been written <laughs> by the same regulatory bodies that are telling you to use the constant hazard rate curve, which is or constant hazard rate model, which is, that's why I'm quite pessimistic about his genuine chances of, of making substantial change. 
at least in the short term. Yeah, no, it's a it's a long game, and military has been facing the same thing. And and there are pockets. There are a handful of folks I've met over the years that no, we don't use that. We we recognize that that might be what the industry wants us to do, but we ask for the distribution. We ask for the analysis. Nice. We ask for this and that. And and our systems are doing better. And those are the ones that don't make the news, the systems that are way over budget and overrun and, and don't work when they get to the field. Um, they're using that. Yeah, <laughs> they're using the, you know, let's use the at 217 parts count prediction. That's, that's, let's call that reliability. We're off. Um, but David's got this issue of, you know, well, how do I talk to him? And my primary advice is, if it's so ingrained in so much of what they do, it's got to make business sense for them to change. It's got to mm-hmm. be in their own interest. So some of it is, and even if you're in the organization or you're consulting with them, is show them both. If they're not going to accept your work unless it has the MTBF value with three digits underlined at the bottom of the page. So give them that and then go, and this is, if this is going to be used to make any decisions, here's some other information that would actually help you make that decision appropriately. Because if you follow, and I've run into this in the oil industry, if you use MTBF, you will decide to ship this unit. If you use your own test data and analyze it with a simple Weibel plot, mm-hmm. which even, and I even, I do this all the time, even managers can understand these things and, <laughs> and put it up on the wall and, and they and they go oh, well that means we sh- we're not ready yet. And it's like exactly. Here's your stated goal. Here's what MTBF says you are, which is pretty meaningless. And here's mm-hmm. how many failures you're going to have on the day one. <laughs> you know when you're on your installations in your first couple months. And, and this is from your data. But when you assume that it's just the constant hazard rate and just calculate an MTBF, it looks great. So you are fooling yourself with this crazy way of doing math <laughs> you know this you're just obscuring the information that you really need to make a decision and some of them get it and some of them say thank you very much goodbye we're going to ship it anyway because that's what we wanted to do and it's really tough when that industry is they make their money on the repairs you know mm-hmm. and, and that's a completely different business model but i've seen companies and i've worked with companies that well, we can't make it too good. Otherwise, we won't make any profit. Right. They are now out of business because somebody came along and said, well, here's a similar function that doesn't cost you a whole bunch of downtime and we, we're we not interested in repairing it. <laughs> so they get cut out of that business and they're gone. But um, yeah, so David asked these handful of different questions. And so my primary advice is do both and show them how the different information can lead to much more savvy business decisions than what you've had before. And it doesn't always work. It definitely doesn't. The other path I take is embarrass the hell out of anybody that mentions MTBF, but that doesn't get very far sometimes. No, no, I mean, a good, not a good question, but at least an interesting question or suggestion is, okay, if you believe everything has a constant hazard rate, it doesn't wear out. Let's eliminate all preventive maintenance. So eliminate all inspections, eliminate anything. We're trying to measure the accumulation of damage. Because, because if it, it has doesn't a, matter. <laughs> if it has a constant hazard rate, it's never wearing out. Yeah. So let's tell the maintenance team they can go home. 
who who's going to say favour and raise your hand? Yeah. yeah. Of course they're not, but by the same token, I mean, it's, that's not going to achieve too much apart from if you're having a genuine heart-to-heart with a, with, a, with a leader who's trying to understand the ramifications. If you're trying to convince people that sort of um, too, it can often be too in-your-face, too confrontational, to look at me, how smart I am, look how dumb you are. Um, but that's what it in practice means. If you are going to assume that everything has a constant hazard rate, then if you're a manager or a leader or a boss, well, put your money where your mouth is and just suspend all preventive maintenance and put your name next to that decision yeah no yeah yeah, no that's a that's a great strategy Uh, i think there's also the the point of you know especially in organizations that have a track record of just bad decisions and you know the root cause is is not that you made the wrong decision you were using the the information you had available which all happened to be two mill handbook 217 generated mtbf values now Meanwhile, we've got all this actual real data that if you take a look at it, you would probably have made different decisions and avoided these $48 million worth of fees that you've had to pay or you know losses that you've had to incur that were based on bad decisions. Um, it, I think it's the comparison and how it could be different is in my mind is the way that I've actually gotten people to go, Oh, geez, maybe we should get a copy of that software and, and do that analysis. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, just get started. You've got the data, you got the, you have it. And now you're just smearing peanut butter all over it. So it all looks bland and you just can't tell what it is anymore. <laughs> peanut butter has that effect, does it? Yeah, it does that. It is. But anyway, it's the I was thinking of something else, but, but that's the idea. Um, but the the business case side of it, that's you got to understand the business model. And I've often heard the argument in especially in the aerospace and the oil industry, is that our systems are too complex to actually do anything else. And I'm like, hmm, you know, that's just plain not true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't need the you know 47 digit weibel analysis and physics of failure model for every single piece of equipment you have and you've talked about it a lot chris is what are the vital few what are the things that are most at risk here you know mtbf is just fine for the seat back tray so you can you know have put you set your drinks down on it um that's fine but the the attachment of the engine the motors and the the jets to your wings and the fuel distribution system and, and fire con- suppression systems, you might want to think about those a little better, <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it, it can't, I'm just trying not to be pessimistic, Fred. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just trying not to be. Um, but, it's, when this stuff is so ingrained and there's so much personal risk, we're sticking your neck out and saying, everything we've been doing now is wrong and the management will roll their eyes and say, well, why the FAA say it then? How, how are you smarter than the FAA or how are you smarter than the NTSB? Well, it's like our last discussion. You don't go in and say everything you're doing is wrong. It's right. It's not up to the task that you have in front of you. If you need to make a decision of what design is the appropriate design for this wing attachment scheme, you need to really get it right. 
and you don't want to add a bunch of extra weight just for margin, just for peace of mind and, and, and everything else, but you also don't want to get it wrong. And are you going to use just some random averages and make a comparison, or are you going to use a little bit better technique that's been in, in our ability toolkit, you know, our, our, uh, we've had the capability of doing this kind of analysis for uh, like a hundred years. Why don't we try that? <laughs> well, going back to what you mentioned about complexity in the industries or organizations say, look, our stuff is too complex for us to do anything about it. Complexity actually offers a wonderful opportunity. And that opportunity is that you, we talk about the vital few, but you typically only need to touch a really small part of a complex system to have a drastic improvement in reliability because you only have a few components which are ruining your day. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at a look at an electronic component, a semiconductor, for example, look, I'm working with an organization that makes lasers for LiDAR, for example. Now, the, the diode which creates the laser beam is sophisticated but really simple. Um, but it has one to two dominant failure mechanisms, which describe every failure in a way. Pretty much, yeah. And so if you want to improve reliability, you need to fundamentally address the entire diode system, for lack of a better term. I know it's a component, but in this context, it's a simple, simple, simple system. You need to re really look at the entire thing. Whereas if you're in a mining company and your engines are failing often, maybe it's the scavenge pump. And all you need to do is buy a new scavenge, different type of scavenge pump, and all of a sudden, you haven't had to go undergo a monstrous redesign to get drastic improvements in reliability. Yeah, and it's one of those things. Is look for those opportunities that make a real difference, and that builds yep. the conf the I want to say confidence, but it's the the trust in oh, this system works. Let's try it on the next level of things. You know, let's let's I call it a beachhead type approach is you get one good yep. success you broadcast that amazingly and say hey look these guys over here actually use the weibel plot and, and they you know save 47 million dollars compared to you guys over there well avoid that last part is to say hey they're getting it right and they're using a proven technology or technique of analyzing the data just a slightly different way without making there's still assumptions involved but they're not making the assumption that it's a constant hazard rate and they made a better decision and, and you know, look how smart they are. Look how <laughs> beneficial it is to their business and all concern. And, you know, FAA sets the lower standard. This is the minimum you have to do. Right. Right. And it varies on what, what bar, where's that set and they keep ratcheting it up. Apparently, you couldn't design and build a 1950 Cessna as a new f aircraft today because it would be deemed unairworthy. Yet there's still Cessnas built in the 50s that are flying today and doing just right. fine. But so they keep it's like our cars, right? We have all this pollution control stuff on it, all the other safety features on it that 50 years ago we didn't even have seatbelts. You know, it just, that was you know a pleasure or add-on that we just don't need. But the idea is, is that you're not limited by the minimum in your organization or your industry. If you want to create products that actually work and serve your clients well and your customers well and operate your systems and 
in a meaningful, fruitful way and are productive, um, pay attention to how you make decisions and get the appropriate data. And just waving your hand and going, everything is fine with MTBF is not always the right decision. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and going in and saying, so how do you know this is all this, this way? And they'll say, well, we assume it is. And this is so all of our data we collect and, and, and I actually had somebody tell me this. I have never seen a circumstance where anything was other than constant hazard rate. He says, well, how do you do the analysis? Well, I first, I assume that it's all constant. And then I just tally up the failures and divide by the time. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, no. It doesn't nope. prove that it is if you just assume it is. Well, the calculations work just fine. Well, of course they do. I can put it's a, <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> but what you said about the FAA being, you know, setting the minimum standard, it's actually a really good point, actually, because we have, you, know, you talked about cars and safety. We have federal motor vehicle safety standards. Essentially, they say if you create a car which complies with these design features, it gets to be called safe. And that means it's safe to be driven on the roads and everything yeah, else. And if dealers can sell it, right. However, we all know that cars, some cars are safer than other cars. And so we have this real dichotomy where um, we have this approach, binary approach. Oh, is a car safe? Yes or no. The motor vehicle safety standards say it's safe? Yes slash no. But when a consumer goes to purchase a car, you better believe safety rating is a Big deal. And there are some cars which are way more safe than others. And how can that be if they all pass the same federal motor vehicle safety standards? The reason is there's no such thing as safe. There's no such thing as you can't you can't standardize safety. And the same reason you can't standardize reliability is there's the truth. It's it's a, it's a measurable metric. It's not it's not what the standard says you need to achieve, what the regulator says if you do this, everything is going to be fantastic. It doesn't work like this. It's interpreted like that a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But in the real world, there's no such thing as safe. There is uh, things which are safer than others in some measurable way. And the same thing goes with, with all the scenarios you talked about. Is the part ready to ship? Yes or no? Well, if we use MTBF, the answer is yes. If we use this, well, we've got some work to do. Um, and you've avoided a disaster. It's just the, the whole idea of complying with with a, a certain perspective means everything is okay. It's, it's just not a thing. Yeah, no, it's very true. And I think that's where we, cl- as an industry in the aerospace, and I've seen it in other industries, is just this reliance on, well, that's the numbers we need to use. That's what everybody's providing us. They will just do that, is missing the opportunity to make a system that's more reliable or better as service provides a better function and value to the, to the, your customers. Um, differentiating on the way you do the math is a really easy thing to do, <laughs> you know, in the, in the big picture of stuff. doesn't mean you have to use titanium for everything. You know, it means that you actually can make better decisions and that's fundamental. Um, and I, that's the hard part for me is the, yeah, it's complex. Yeah, we got a lot to deal with. Yeah, that's you know we've got great engineers. Everything else, it, I like your analogy of the analogy of car safety because 
it, there are cars that are just more reliable. There are cars that are just more uh, uh, safe and same with reliability. And part of that is how we make decisions to make it happen. And that's contingent on the information that we're feeding into those decisions. So why, why aren't we using the best available techniques to expose the information we need and or create the information we need? So that, that's mind-boggling to me. So anyway, I think David's got a, a long-haul view of this. He's got the right ideas. Appreciate the, the thought or question. Gave you a couple of ideas here. I sent a couple of them to you in email. Um, but if you're listening to this, be like David. Send us a question and be like David and, and lure people away from using MTBF. That's another good thing to do. Um, but let us know. Uh, how's the battle going where you are? Kind of what's your thought on this and what's, what's worked for you to help people understand that there is a better way to rather than making these, these bold assumptions about hazard rates. Um, head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. You can get in touch with us a couple of ways there. Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and on um, our about pages. We all have contact information and ways to get in touch. So we look forward to hearing from you and shout out to David. Thanks for the, the, the work you're doing and trying to help move an industry that's it's going to take lots of us doing this in a steady press pressure uh over time to make it happen but it can happen and i've seen it happen in a couple of industries so far so i know we're making progress uh but uh yeah any more questions let us know and we'll look forward to, to chatting again any final thoughts there chris I don't know. It's just an ongoing frustration. It's, uh, and again, when you've got an industry culture to deal with, it's it's really challenging. But it is. Yeah. you but shouldn't throw your hands up. No, no. Just keep chugging away. There are people in your corner that get it and understand. And we together, I think we can make it happen. And it is making progress. I still get messages every now and then saying, hey, we're making a breakthrough here. We, we've changed this thing. We changed that. So we're, we're getting there. We're, just keep at it. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one, Fred. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.